I'll tell you what, I don't know what else to say uh, because it's all been said. And it started last night uh, where we just kind of savored what happened and found it incredible. And I'm not speechless because I'm a talk show host and I won't get paid if I don't talk. But I have to tell you, I, I don't know where to begin. I'll, I'll go with you, uh, Mr. Rieger. Um, since you're so much more sports oriented, I'm just, uh, I just love my Michigan Wolverines. I feel honored to have had a chance to go there and, uh, and graduate from there. And I, you know, I, it's just an unbelievable feeling. It's an unbelievable experience. You know how nervous I was before the game. Yeah. I just total domination by Michigan. Um, in all phases of the game yesterday. I mean, they made Michael Penix look like, just horrible. I was it was unbelievable. The defense played great. But here's what I I found distasteful is that Michael Penix Jr. was clearly hurt. And his coach, who you later explained to me had been at Eastern Michigan, yeah. mm-hmm. showed me no class and no humanity at all. He didn't care. Apparently, he was like mad at Michael Penix for being hurt. I don't. I don't think that was the case. I think that he was. Michael, Listen, I don't, I think he did. David, he did nothing to help that kid. He didn't pull the kid out of the game, you think, which he should have done. Think he, I don't think that he was going to let him get pulled out. I don't think he was going to let his coach pull him out of the game. So, well, you look at but it he's your been, way. He also he's also played hurt for. Um, you know, this guy's been through. Multiple ACLs, so he wasn't coming out for. Uh, and, and he had talked to the he talked after the game. He had talked to the team doctors. It wasn't an injury that was going to be more harmful in the future or dangerous. So they let him play. He gave him their best chance, but he, but it was you, really they don't have a backup was, quarterback. I'm sure. I'm sure on. they. I'm sure they do. But he had. Their, he was their best chance. But nobody was going to move the ball on Michigan's defense yesterday. Yeah, that is the truth. I'll tell you another thing, uh, and these are just my uh, my thoughts as we uh, chat here about this incredible victory. Houston, we have a national champion, as opposed to Houston, we have a problem. And, uh, and our Wolverines of the great state of Michigan rush to glory, capping off what could only be called a tumultuous season, but perfectly defeating the Washington Huskies 30 30- Four to thirteen to capture their first outright national championship since nineteen forty-eight. Is that right? Yep. So here's the other thing that uh, I felt. Now you're the sports guy. You said it right. I, look, Blake Corum is unbelievable. There's no question about that. A hundred thirty-three yards. Uh, two touchdowns, uh, and all the stuff that we needed and and have gotten from him and expect from him, it was all there. But doggone it, Donovan Edwards with 104 yards, the two of them making history there, each going over 100 yards and each scoring two touchdowns, never been done before. But Donovan Edwards, with those two first-quarter touchdowns, set the stage, I think, for Michigan and there was very little said about that at the end of the game, you know, when they were up on the stand and they were right. getting they the gave, awards. Uh, they gave the offensive about. award to Blake Corum, correct? Right. Who also I, had two touchdowns himself, but the right, two right. big, but the two big runs were Donovan Edwards. That kind of got it all started. Yes. 
Well, I'm just saying it set the stage in many ways. Psychologically, yes. it was incredibly helpful to the team, the team, the team, the team. It was incredibly helpful to them. And, and I think that Donovan Edwards didn't get his due. I, that's that's not the point. He doesn't yeah. do it to get his due. Right. But you understand. I, see, I understand He's been what in you're the saying. shadow sure. of Blake Corn yes. forever. Correct. You know, the, Michigan had more rushing yards by like two or three yards than Washington had total yards. Isn't that amazing? Michigan said <laughs> it, it, was a, it, was, it was a record. It's like 304 yards rush, 306 yards rushing or something like that. That's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. It was just total domination. Their their, their pro style defense and Washington had no answers. And it did and even when the game was you know, they were up by it looked Michigan dominated the first half and then they go into halftime up by 7. It was kind of starting to look like Alabama from a week earlier. And then they throw the pick to start the second half and it's like you weren't really worried because they could not score. They it, it didn't matter. J.J. McCarthy didn't have to throw the ball a lot. It did not matter. They kept on punting it back to them, and the defense kept on stopping them. It just And even when they scored their lone touchdown, Washington, it was because Michigan failed on fourth down and gave them good field position, and it took them four downs to, to get the touchdown anyway. So it was just total domination by Michigan. It was were you, uh, uh, Early on, were you, were you this confident? Did you say – we talked a couple of times yeah, last I night. Was con- we- yeah, I was confident that because – I was confident that uh, the offensive Washington had never faced a defense like this. And we knew that Washington's defense against the run wasn't very good. And plus, Michigan knew Michael Penix. He played in the Big Ten. He played for Indiana. I just, everything just lined up for Michigan. They just, if they played their game. And like I said, yeah, and like I said last night on Sports Wrap, if Michigan got off to a quick start, which they had not done against Alabama, or at some of the game, or even Ohio State, right. get off to a quick start and then impose your will, and that's what they did. By the way, you're doing a, a great job on Sports Wrap. I I know I sent you a note saying that, but nice. I want to publicly that. say, uh, Dave Rieger, that you're doing a great job with Lomas and uh, Blake and whoever else you're there with from time to time. You do a great job on your own. Meanwhile, uh, we've reached out to John Wangler and the mayor, and both of them have gotten back to us saying they're going to be on airplanes. Uh, while we're here on the air. So we're not going to be able to speak with them. However, the governor will be with us. She won her bet with their governor, and uh, we'll talk about that. She has a couple of kids at Michigan, and I'm sure she's uh, very excited to be the governor of of the, the state where the football team is the national champion, even though she went to Michigan State, got her law degree at Michigan State. God bless her for all of that. And uh, we're going to check back in with the one and only Jim Brandstetter, if we can get him down from the ceiling, because I know how excited he is. And congratulations to Jim Harbaugh, who has gone through uh, sitting at the little kids' table for the that was a great time. That was a great line. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh's older brother, Baltimore Ravens coach John Harbaugh, won the Super Bowl, beating his brother, as a matter of fact. Dad, who's a peach of a man, Jack Harbaugh, and his lovely mother and Jack's wife, Jackie, won a national championship in 2002 at Western Kentucky. And now, as Jim said it again and again, I can now sit at the big person's table in the in the family. No more sitting at the little table. I'm glad you caught that and loved that as well, Mr. Rieger. That was great. I did too. It's yeah. great. Coming up, 
Jimmy Brandsetter. Again, if we can get him down from the ceiling, we'll talk to a real football player's perspective uh, and a former Michigan man on the game last night. Stay with us. Focus with Paul W. Smith, WJR. You know, when it comes to supporting your health, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and Blue Care Network are ready to help. They've been serving the people and communities of Michigan for hmm, 85 years because they believe the right care starts in the community. That's why they partner with organizations on programs that encourage healthy lifestyles, address health disparities, and increase access to quality health care for everyone such as supporting free and low-cost clinics across the state. Blue Cross is ingrained in Michigan, and when you're a member, you never have to travel far to access the care you need. With the largest network of doctors and hospitals, along with virtual care for both physical and mental health, you can access the care you deserve whenever and wherever you need it, bringing you peace of mind. Download the BCBSM mobile app, which provides members with instant personalized information and support to help track their coverage and claims, avoiding unexpected surprises. So wherever you are in your health journey, remember this. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and Blue Care Network are ready to help. 1215 at 760 WJR. I, I, did we get him down from the ceiling? Jimmy Brandsetter, are you down from the ceiling? Yes, I am, Paul. I am actually, uh, I've come down from one of the great experiences of football, <laughs> my football life and watching that great game last night. Was it not incredible? And I, I have to tell you, you know, I told you when we had John yesterday, I'm kind of a nervous Nelly when it comes to our our maize and blue when they play a big game like this, but man, uh, they showed me I didn't need to be so nervous. No, no, they did. And, and you know what was great, Paul, is they did it the old fashioned way. I mean, Bo Schembechler <laughs> would have absolutely loved this one. It was a battle of the line of scrimmage and the offensive line totally controlled the game. The defensive line kept Michael Penix uncomfortable, wouldn't let him really set his feet and find the receivers and and be the quarterback that he could be. It was that kind of game. It was that game in that six to seven yard area where you win that battle up front and you control the game. And that's what Michigan did. Uh, That's the beauty of it for me, an old dinosaur, an old guy who loves the the greatness (laughs) of the big uglies up front, as Keith Jackson used to say, well, Michigan's big uglies, really showed their stuff last night. Uh, They sure did. Spoken like a true offensive tackle. Spoken Uh, like a big (laughs) ugly myself. (laughs) And and spoken like the the incredible broadcaster that you were uh, and still are with all the numerous honors and awards, uh, Michigan Sports Broadcaster of the Year twice. Named to the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame, Gridiron Greats Hall of Fame, Michigan Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame. It goes on and on, and I miss those stories. Just like you gave us a story now and sent a chill up my spine, I miss those stories when you were on the air here at uh, WJR and elsewhere. Yeah, so, thank you, Paul. What he, sadly, though he wants us all to enjoy this, there's no question, 
And I got a big kick. I just spoke about uh, Jim Harbaugh saying he now gets to sit at the big people's table. Uh, Isn't that the- great? <laughs> Wasn't that fun? I just love that. <laughs> he was the only one. Heck, even Jackie, his mom, must have a national championship somewhere. And- <laughs> Probably does, yeah. I mean, it, it was so much. Wasn't it fun last night, too, to see a coach you know, embrace his brother, his mom, and his dad, and have that whole history around him? I can't remember in past years where that story, that family of that coach, became a story around the game. But with Jim, it did. To watch John walk up in the middle of the game because his plane came in late and grab him on the sideline and see Jim being surprised, like, who's doing that? And then hug his brother right during the game. That was beautiful. Wasn't that beautiful? That's the kind of stuff that is unique and special about the Harbaugh story. And it is a great story, and it is a story that continues, and now it is a story that all of us are kind of on the edges of our seats uh, waiting for the next page in this story. Is this page going to remain Mason Blue with the Wolverines and let him build the legacy that he watched and experienced with Bo Schembechler, as did you? Or is it time for him to say, okay, I've marked that off my list. There's only one other thing for me to get, and that's a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's the question everybody's asking. I, I wish I had an answer. I, I, I kind of feel like him uh, when he was asked that question last night. He said, kind of frustrated. He says, hey, can you guys let me enjoy this for 24 hours? Oh, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> you know? I agree. And, and I kind of feel like him, and I'm, I'm, I, do, I wish I knew the answer. And And I can only speculate in the sense that, you know, if he does decide to take that next step, I don't blame him. I really don't. I mean, I give everybody, if he's got dreams and aspirations, who am I to say, no, hold on. That's being that's me being selfish. Right. And, and I want him to reach his goals, his aspirations. And if he's accomplished all that he feels that he can accomplish, and certainly he's done uh, to Michigan, he's just been spectacular and what he's accomplished in his time at Michigan. Uh, it would be selfish of me to say to him, no, you can't go and try to achieve that one goal that you haven't gotten in your career yet. So if he chooses to, fine. If he doesn't t- choose to do that and stay at Michigan, I will be extremely happy and, um, and delighted for him. But, again, that's totally up to him. And I'm one of those guys that either way, I'm delighted for Jim Harbaugh and and his success. Well, I'm on I'm on that uh, same bus as you. I I love him to stay at Michigan. Completely understand if he doesn't, and I will support Jim Harbaugh uh, forever, whatever he Good. is doing. Yeah, I forever. think that's the way you got to look at it. I really do. So I, I now if we I know I I don't mean to be rushing past this celebration. <laughs> this celebration should go on for yes, a very long time, and it will, and it is. But we do have to look at the future, and uh, and we're looking at a completely different team next year, regardless of whether uh, Jim Harbaugh stays or not. It will be a completely different team. You know what, Paul? You're right from a personnel standpoint. But and I've said this, and I've talked about this before. I've said, you know what? The one thing that doesn't change is the name. It's Michigan, and 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 to me, that's why this team was so special. They were playing for Michigan. They were playing for the name on the back of the jersey. Blake Corum even said it. I came back for my brothers. I came back for Michigan. And, and I think that's what we all have to remember. 
Michigan will survive. It has survived through Bump Elliott, Bo Schembechler, Lloyd Carr, Gary Moeller, and Jim Harbaugh, and even survived Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez. <laughs> it is Michigan. And, and, and if we remember that, Michigan's legacy goes back 144 years. Last night they were showing pictures of the 1908 team at Fielding HOs. And that's what we have to remember. It's not about the players. It's about Michigan. And Michigan will survive. And whether it's Sharon Moore as a new head coach, if Jim decides not to stay, uh, it's about Michigan. And if Michigan keeps Michigan's spirit, Michigan's legacy, Michigan's tradition and optimism and, and values, then I think Michigan will survive and be just fine. Oh, boy. I, you know, we ought to put you on once a month just for one of your uh, pep talks. That's, <laughs> I'm telling you, Jimmy. I, I, but, but you know what? I, I, tr- I truly believe that. I mean, we've come through our, our dark times. And, and, and what has always been the one thing we grab onto? It's Maize and Blue. It's Michigan. It's Louis Elbel. It's Fielding Yost. It's Oosterbach. We, we survive because we are Michigan. We're not one guy or this player or Blake Corum or J.J. McCarthy. We're Rick Leach. We're Denny Franklin. We're, we're Steve Smith. We're Tom Brady. We're Drew Henson. We're all of those guys because they're all part of the legacy that is Michigan. And Michigan, whoever's at the helm, Michigan will always survive. <sighs> You're absolutely right. And all we're going to do at this point is not worry or wonder. We're just going to savor Absolutely. Incredible moment. Couldn't have said it better. Well, you just did. And uh, this is why people love Jim's new audio book, Voices of Michigan Stadium. Uh, And when I say new, it's been out a couple years now. But uh, and and you came on with us to tell us about it, which is a wonderful thing to get a hold of. It's a this would be a great time to buy it for yourself or or as a gift for someone in your family. Uh, even if they happen to love Michigan maybe more than you do, this would be <laughs> this would be a very very nice well, gift. And, and Jim JimBrandstetter dot com. Yes, JimBrandstetter dot com. You can buy the paperback, you can buy a download, or you can get it on now CD. It's a seven CD set, wow. uh, and it's available at JimBrandstetter dot com. And it's it's what we were just talking about. It's the history of Michigan football. It's why Michigan football survives because the great stories of the past still live on today. Well, and, and it's the beauty of this is you have captured the sound so that we can all relive these moments on seven CDs of the yeah, yeah. voices of the past. Paul, you can hear Ron Kramer again. How much oh, fun is that? And, and Bo Schembechler and Rick Leach and Denny Franklin and, and George Hoey and Ron Johnson. These are great names that they're the shoulders that we stand on today to reach the heights that we've reached. And we should never forget that they were the ones that have that legacy, that built the foundation, that this team 144 stood on to win that national championship last night. I'm going to tell you a quick Dennis Franklin story. When I was living and working in New York City, WABC, I get on the, uh, the elevator at my apartment, the Sheffield on West 57th Street, and there's a guy on the elevator with a set of golf clubs. And I go, oh, boy, you know, I don't think of golf very much here in New York City. He goes, yeah, I play a lot of it. I travel around, play a lot. And we're in this conversation coming from the 40th floor. Time to say, you know, a few things. And 
Right. He he asks where I'm from. I said I'm from Michigan. He goes, oh, I I, I went to school in Michigan. I went, no kidding. Uh, I went to school at University of Michigan. And he said, oh, I went to U of M too. And I said, what's your name? And he said, Dennis Franklin. Did he really? <laughs> yes. How cool is that? <laughs> that was just. I mean, I gave it away by telling you my Dennis Franklin story, but you made me right. think of it when you just mentioned Denny. And, well, uh, and he was off, he was in business and going to play business golf. <laughs> yeah, he he was a salesperson in the media for a long time in New York. He's now, I think, out in Los Angeles, but uh, one of Michigan's great all timers. And uh, I, he was he was he came in right after I graduated. And uh, Denny is still a, a good friend and a and a great athlete and a great representative of Michigan. Jim Brandstetter, you're one of our all time great. Michiganders and Michigan men, and we thank you for sharing from your heart and from the line uh, your thoughts in the game last night. And again, give thank our you. love to uh, Robbie Timmons, your wife. I and, will, uh, Paul. And and thank you so much for your friendship and, and, and keeping me relevant by calling me up like this. You're the best. Well, you'll never be anything but relevant to me and to my audience as we continue on WJR. I hope you're having a great day. Glad you're with us. You can stream us live right now at WJR.com. If you have to go out, uh, Alexa or Google Home, you can download the WJR app, and you can get our show at any time, the whole show, any time that's convenient for you to listen to at TheGreatVoice.com, and I hope you'll do that, TheGreatVoice.com. We appreciate it. If you don't come along, we miss you, matter of fact. Marie Osborne, uh, has done many things at this radio station in the many years that she has been with us and now as a WJR senior news analyst. Um, we have a story to cover, but before we get to the story that she's here to cover, she was uh, doing focus uh, at a time when there was a transition, and then I uh, started doing it as well. Um, and uh, she had a guy on kind of in remembrance of the history of that show. And that guy that she had on was Pete Waldmeyer. And it was Marie who let me know that, in fact, we have lost the legendary Detroit news writer who covered major mid-20th century sporting events across the globe before becoming a venerable news columnist over a career that spanned half a century he died yesterday following four months of hospice care. Pete Waldmeyer was 92, and Marie, I know you know from your own personal experience, he was quite a guy. Oh, he was amazing. When you think about 50 of his 92 years were doing what we do um, in in uh, the media, and I remember very well people often talking about Pete's column today. What did Pete say today? What right. did, what was his perspective? What was his viewpoint? A lot of people didn't agree with him. And that's what good conversations about, right? So right. he would uh he would kind of stick it to some folks who sometimes probably needed it. And uh he was just an incredible uh, voice here for the Detroit area. I mean that really is what he was. He was a voice for the Detroit area. Absolutely. And and he uh, was very philanthropic in that he mm -hmm. supported the Goodfellows. He's the guy who got me involved with the Goodfellows, and I'm pretty certain that if it weren't for Pete Waldmeyer, I wouldn't be the uh, the MC for the Goodfellows breakfast, from my memory. And uh, 
and I used to run into his son. The funny thing is the dad was called Pete. The son was called Peter. It's usually reversed. <laughs> but I ran into his son, uh, Peter, at Fresh Farms Market, where I shop all the time, and uh, and he has passed away. Yeah. So uh, mm. uh, it, Pete had to had to bury a child, and nobody nobody wants to do that. My my mother had to do that a couple of times. Nobody wants to go through that. But he was Pete was a great guy, and I'm so glad you let me know about this because I had missed it yesterday morning, and he will be remembered. You're right; not everyone agreed with him, but they still read him because they liked <laughs> they liked disagreeing with well, him. Well, you were in the know if you read Pete Waldmeyer and. Uh, uh, you know, the Focus show, as you well know, had a little bit of a hiatus uh, for some years. Uh, JP did it for a long time, and then you did it. And then before you came here uh, full time, I had the opportunity to fill in uh, to do the Focus show. And the last guest we had on the Focus show before um, we brought the show back, of course, this past year, the last guest was Pete Waldmeyer. I got a chance to talk to him, and he was, he was just always funny and gracious and uh, just like talking to your neighbor it was great yeah, he was a great guy he'll be uh, he'll be missed but not forgotten that's no. for sure now on to what you're here for michigan attorney general dana nessel has released a new report which contains allegations against several catholic priests in the diocese of gaylord this is the second of seven reports concerning abuse allegations against catholic clergy and indeed our wjr senior news analyst marie osborne has an overview of the report, Marie. Right. And as you said, Paul, this is one of several. So this, we wanted to just bring our listeners up to date on this one. The latest report follows about four years of investigation. It has accusations against 26 priests and two deacons in the Diocese of Gaylord. The report by the AG's office takes a closer look at how each of Michigan's seven dioceses handled reports of sexual abuse in the past. None of the cases here resulted in criminal charges Due to a lack of evidence, a lack of criminal activity, how long ago the alleged abuse occurred and the possibility that the offender had died. Uh, this latest report focuses on all of the allegations made by victims against priests living and dead who worked for the Gaylord Diocese. It was established back in 1971. It includes 21 Catholic churches in the upper part of the lower peninsula. So Nestle says the report was completed, uh, compiled rather, from a tip line, victim interviews, police investigations, documents seized from the diocese, and electronic documents, Paul. So we're still expecting reports from Lansing, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Saginaw, and the Archdiocese of Detroit. This is a horrific story that we wish would go away, but we can't let it go away until the story is complete, I'm afraid. That is true, and we're expecting more uh, coming from the AG's office. Thanks for the update, and also thanks for the uh, information you've shared with us on the loss of the Detroit News columnist extraordinaire Pete Waldmeyer. Thank you, Riri. You're very welcome. All right. Our WJR senior news analyst, Marie Osborne, uh, as uh, we continue here in Focus with Paul W. Smith at WJR. Well, that is certainly uh, unusual. Our uh, little, <laughs> little, our little music to play us back into our segment. Uh, remind you that uh, at uh, one o'clock, Governor, well, right after the one o'clock news, Governor Gretchen Whitmer here 
Uh, she has proclaimed today Michigan Wolverine Day, which might have been difficult for a Spartan, but I don't know. I mean, she's got a couple of kids going to Michigan. God bless her. So we're looking forward to talking with her about that and more. And looking forward to talking with the president and CEO of the Small Business Association of Michigan, uh, the one and only Brian Kelly, uh, who uh, who we have supported back when he was in uh, politics and government and while he is here now helping small businesses. Uh, even in my uh, newspaper column for the end of the year, I was talking about people doing business with small businesses. They need our help. So what we want to do is kick off this new year with some of the small business trends and predictions from 2024 from the guy who knows, Brian Kelly. Brian, nice to talk with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Paul W. Thanks for having me back on the show. Well, it's always our pleasure, sir. And, uh, you know, over the past several years, our businesses and Employees have faced some enormous hurdles. We've undergone some lots of change in how work is done. Uh, and uh, I'm just wondering, first of all, how did the small businesses do in 2023? Well, it depends on the industry, of course. You know, some uh, did quite well. We saw leisure and hospitality and a lot of uh, service industries really kind of do a lot of catch-up work uh, last last year as they were finally able to um, to get to at least minimal level of, uh, of staff to operate more what might be considered more normal. But, but also there are still lingering major frustrations that have just become the regular way of life it's with uh, with the, everything being so expensive, the uh, the rising costs, cost of, of employment, cost of inputs, cost of services, cost, just everything across the board is so much more expensive. And smaller businesses have less pricing power as buyers and sellers, so it, it tends to be harder for them to uh, to make adjustments uh, to to raise prices and and um, and to demand better uh, prices as buyers because they just don't deal in the same volume that some of the bigger players do. So those frustrations are are uh, lingering, but you know the economy is. Uh, is chugging along. The uh, there's still demand out there. It's just the frustration of operating and uh, and taking advantage of the demand that uh, is really catching people up. And here we are now, uh, looking at business trends for 2024. And I I know you say to your members and show them that staying on top of new business trends means understanding what technologies, practices, and strategies are impacting organizations across all of the industries. So uh, one of the things I know you preach is preparing for economic uncertainties. That's right. And there are a couple of things to um, uh, to zero in on there. Uh, first is the difficulty in finding people, and especially people that are equipped and can do the things that are required in today's economy. Uh, it is the new norm that that is just going to be difficult and it's likely to get more difficult in the future. So that means that it, the decision point on investing in um, in autonomy or paying up for really good talent that can deliver, uh, as opposed to, there was a time, remember there was a time when people were like, look, you just give me somebody who can, uh, will show up to work on time and, and pass the drug test and I'll take them. You know, like, but <laughs> those days are kind of, those days are kind of over you know, because 
uh, because it's so hard to find people. And, and you have to, and, and when you find good people, you've got to pay a lot for them. So you need high productivity. And we're really starting to see that pile up where, where businesses, they're, they're willing to pay up high for the best talent, but got to have people that can produce and produce at a high level. And what everybody is going up against, uh, big, medium, and uh, let's see, small, medium, and large companies, uh, is that that digital experience is out there, and what they're working on online are seamless customer experiences. So that's it's no different for a bricks-and-mortar uh, kind of a business. When people come in, they want to do business. They want it to be seamless and a very uh, likable experience. Small businesses do tend to have to compete on something other than just price. The and so it's it's service, it's quality, it's the idea of customization. You know that what whether it's a a, a good or a service that they have out there in the marketplace, more and more um, the, the businesses are having to to find ways to be competitive out there in a marketplace where. The commodity type stuff, you know, people order something online, it comes in the mail, they, um, and it, you know, it doesn't matter who it comes from. You know, those sorts of things, having an online presence that can compete with the big, with the bigger players gets, um, it's just the online marketplace is so crowded that there has to be something more than just uh, price. More and more are finding that, and those who can differentiate themselves and build up that loyal customer base. Uh, based on either customization or quality or options or flexibility, uh, those are the ones that are um, that are plowing ahead and finding ways to to um, to differentiate in such a crowded marketplace. Well, and and next time we speak, maybe we'll get more into uh, artificial intelligence. It's rearing its ugly head everywhere. Uh, we're looking at possibly uh, updated wage and hour laws that might be coming our way. Um, and maybe some of the biggest business concerns in 2024. You're the guy for us to talk to, and we will do that in our next conversation, Brian. Thanks so much, Paul W. Great to be back on the show again this year. Well, you're going to be on often if it's okay with you. We love having you on. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Brian Kelly, of course, president and CEO, Small Business Association of Michigan, and we always suggest try to do business with that neighbor business, that small business in your area. They need our help. The governor of the great state of Michigan coming up next. What a great day for the great state of Michigan. We are the home of the national college football champions, the University of Michigan Wolverines. And we've been talking a lot about it. Uh, We had Jimmy Brandstetter on uh, earlier We've uh, reached out to uh, John Wangler, who said he'd love to come on. Maybe we'll get him on tomorrow, but he was on an airplane, as was the mayor. Happily, we've been able to reach out, and uh, our great governor has accepted our invitation to be on board. And uh, I, I, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, I think you'll agree this is a great day for the state of Michigan, regardless of the fact that uh, you happen to go to Michigan State and get your law degree at Michigan State. That's right. You know, I spent, I got two degrees from MSU, but I got to tell you, last night's game was so fun. I mean, it was the culmination of incredible work. And, you know, those student athletes really from the opening drive to the last minutes of the game made us all proud. It was it was re- I, I got to tell you, you know, I get very nervous about these things. 
Uh, but to watch Donovan Edwards out of nowhere uh, come up with two first-quarter touchdowns running for 104 yards, and, of course, Blake Corum, we've depended on Blake with his two touchdowns and 133 yards. That's never been done before in a game like that, and uh, it was just exciting. I still, I have to still tell you, I was nervous throughout the game. It sounds like you were just all in, like, this is it, we're doing it. I believed it. I really did. You know, it was kind of fun to, you know, go back and forth with the governor of Washington and, you know, tease one another. But I had real confidence. This team, I mean, they're incredible. And Washington's offense, obviously, you know, they were ranked number one. But Michigan's defense just destroyed them. It was a blast to watch. It really was. And I, you know, I said this earlier. I, I, I felt sorry for this Michael Penix Jr., uh, the quarterback who we were told was like the greatest thing since sliced bread and should have uh, almost won the Heisman and all this other stuff. And he looked in so much pain. And I don't know if you as a mother, but me as a father, I looked at him and I said, where the hell is the coach? Why isn't the coach helping this kid? Pull him out, get him fixed up, let him rest. It was like the coach ignored the fact that this kid was in great pain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it just shows too that right teams are more than one person. And, um, you know, I, I it really thought it was kind of cool how, you know, you've got McCarthy and Orgy going back and forth and get, spelling him for a bit. And yeah, you're right. Penix didn't get a whole lot of, whole no. lot of support in his team, <laughs> but I'm sure he's got a bright future. Oh, there's no, there's no question. He's going to be just fine. Governor uh, Whitmer and her husband, Mark, have two lovely daughters that attend the University of Michigan, Sherry and Sydney. I can't even imagine how excited they are, as excited as my Sophie is. Oh, yeah. I don't know if Sophie went out last night, but I know my girls did not. <laughs> I was <laughs> warning them, don't be don't be destroying anything and stay safe. But alas, they're not Spartans, so they didn't go out. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You're a Spartan, and uh, and you still are calling today Michigan Wolverine Day. We really appreciate that. Absolutely, you know this is it, it's great for the for the Big Ten. It's great for the university, and without question, it is great for all those student athletes and the state of Michigan all over. So whether you're you bleed green and white like I do, or you bleed blue and you know maize and blue, I think that we can all recognize this is a awesome day for the state of Michigan. So what was the uh, what was the bet with the Washington Governor Jay Inslee? I think he's going to send me some wine. I don't know. I didn't really Washington you know, State wine. He I saw the the thing on uh, um, Instagram and he was kind of bragging about some great Washington State wine, which he's now going to send to you. Uh, what were we going to send him in the unfortunate circumstance had it gone the other way? Um, some Michigan beer, and we have plenty of wonderful selection. To I could have sent him, but I'm glad I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you don't have to too. And let me ask you a, 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 a gubernatorial question. And this is uh, now comparing you with uh, former Governor John Engler and his uh, lovely First Lady, his wife Michelle. I ran into them a number of years ago when. I don't know if it was one or two, I don't think it was all three of the triplets, at least one of them went to Michigan. And, of course, former Governor John Angler is bleeding green and white like you do, Governor. He was a, a very big Michigan State uh, grad and fan. And I noticed that Michelle had on a shirt that said, or a sweatshirt or something at the game in Ann Arbor, it said, Proud Michigan Mom. 
And then up walked former Governor John Engler, and he did not have a shirt on that said, Proud Michigan Father. So I called him on that, and he looked at me, and it became very obvious there would be never a time that he would wear a shirt that said, Proud Michigan Father, because he's (laughs) such a Michigan State fan. Now, would you wear a Proud Michigan Mom shirt? Oh yeah, I've got a Michigan mom sweatshirt that I wear a lot for the for the game. So uh, absolutely, I am a proud parent of two Wolverines. I am certain that John Engler was proud of his daughter or daughters, whoever was going to Michigan at the time. He just couldn't bring himself to put that on a, <laughs> on a sweatshirt and to put it on his body. So, <laughs> so you win this one, that's for sure. Good for you because you are first a proud Michigan mom. You are second a proud governor of the great state of Michigan, and third, but still right up there in your heart, you're a big Michigan State fan, and green and white courses through your body, and we appreciate that. How's everything else going, Governor? You know, there's a lot of good stuff happening, Paul W. I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm putting the final touches on my state of the state that I'll be given in two weeks, and finalizing some budget decisions, which we'll introduce in February. So this is always a really busy time of year and obviously now that it's snowing just want to remind people be safe when you're out there on the roads yeah we have to remind everybody uh first big snow that uh, they do remember how to drive in the snow though it sometimes seems that some people don't uh it is something we see every year and uh, we're going to continue to see it regardless of uh the, the changes in our weather, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to have some snow. Maybe not as much as we've had. You know, I remember, and I'm a lot older than you, but I remember when I was a kid, it seemed to me that we had a lot more snow. But maybe it's just because I was little and it looked like a lot more snow. I don't know. I, I think that's right. I mean, I remember snow and then it would stay. Like, we didn't. it didn't dump on us and then it'd go away and then dump on us and go away. Like, it stayed. I remember trick-or-treating as a little kid in my snow boots. So, yeah, this this climate is very, yeah, it's changing and it's, uh, you know, challenging. I, I think about all those businesses, those outdoor rec businesses that depend on the snow this time of year. And so I'm glad to see it snowing. I hope it I hope it stays cold for a while. I, I have to ask, um, paying attention as I do, listening to everything you say, when you went trick or treating, what did you generally go as? <laughs> it depended. My mom made all of our costumes. So I'm oh, the nice. oldest, younger sister and a younger brother. And uh, we had all sorts of hilarious costumes over the years. But I think one of my favorite was, you know, we were aliens. <laughs> and um, <laughs> had these bright pink and purple and green costumes. They were hilarious. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, it's good. it's good to know. And no one will hear that anywhere else but right here in Focus. So meanwhile... <laughs> Uh, State of the State in two weeks. We're looking forward to it. WJR will be covering it uh, in every way, and we look forward to talking to you uh, then and uh, moving forward. And thanks again for this being Michigan Wolverine Day and you being such a good sport, uh, having been a Michigan State grad for two degrees and having your two daughters, Sherry and Sydney, go to Michigan and and, uh, loving that uh, today as much as all of us are. Thank you, Governor. We'll talk again soon. We appreciate it. Happy New Year Thanks. to you. Thanks, Paul W. Congrats to you and Sophie, all the Wolverines out there. Go Blue. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Governor. Go Blue indeed from the governor of the great state of Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, with that fabulous fight song.
Well, here we go, um, and no one better to talk about this than our next guest, the editorial page editor of the Detroit News, Nolan Finley, with an announcement that has either happened or will be happening today regarding uh, Senate candidate Mike Rogers. And uh, it might be shocking to some, or if you think it through, you might have to say, well, what else can he do? Nolan, always a pleasure. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Happy New Year, Paul. The announcement that he felt compelled to make today, or is making, is that he is going to endorse Donald Trump for President of the United States. Yeah, I mean, it was a surprise to me because I felt he was well positioned uh, as, as someone who was independent and not beholding to... Uh, Trump and the Trump factions, uh, and that was, to me, a good deal of his appeal. Uh, you know, he certainly was in the presidential race for a while running against Donald Trump, and, uh, you know, Mike Rogers is a very capable, solid candidate, and you know, I hate to see him uh, having taken on this baggage, particularly when you look ahead to November. Well, you know, he declined to endorse any presidential candidate when he got into the Senate race. We asked him about that when he first got in. But he did say he would back whomever the Republican Party nominates. And at this point, who else could it be? Well, I mean, I'm still hoping, Paul, but (laughs) there is a a sense of inevitability about it. And I would urge your readers to look at our website tonight uh, and we'll have the latest poll results up. Uh, And, you know, there is this sense of an inevitability about Donald Trump, but also this prevailing notion that you, you just, you simply can't run uh, in opposition to him or even stay neutral. I mean, he's got a very, Mike Rogers got a very tough Senate primary uh, facing you know, some well-funded challengers, and it's hard to operate in the Republican Party today if you take a stand against Donald Trump or if you don't take a stand for him. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible to me that after, you know, all this time, he still has such an ironclad lock on the party and its voters. Well, we've never seen anything like it, and uh, it's not positive, all things considered, even for those people who absolutely are forever Trumpers and and love him and will go for him in totality always. But the reality is no one should have so much power that they scare people into backing them. And, you know, if anyone knows what it's like to be snubbed by by Donald Trump, as I do and as Mike Rogers does... (laughs) Mike Rogers was Donald Trump's first really big mistake, and I was happy to say that on the air, and Donald was not happy to have me say it on the air, and that is Mike Rogers should have been head of the FBI. And, oh, who was right about that? Well, we were, because I guarantee you if Mike Rogers were head of the FBI, we wouldn't have gone through, nor would Trump have gone through all of the stuff he's gone through. That's true. and still would be a good candidate for that position, Uh uh, you know, and that's that's his appeal. He's a, he's a man of great integrity and extraordinarily competent. Not a whole lot of that in government today. 
Nope. And so, you know, I still, I still think Mike is a good Senate candidate. I just hate to see him, you know, folding on this issue and following the pack. I mean, you look at all of our congressional delegation uh, endorsed him months ago before they even saw, got a chance to see whether anybody was going to prevail in these primaries. It's, you know, it's, it's like they accepted the inevitability of Donald Trump uh, instead of working to change that reality and get behind somebody else. And, of course, Mike Rogers still doesn't know, as you've written in the uh, editorial page, uh, as the editorial page editor of the Detroit News, Nolan Finley, that Mike doesn't have any idea on whether endorsing Donald Trump will bring the former president's backing for his candidacy. It's just no, a, he doesn't. He uh, doesn't have any idea. There's no way to predict that. No, you, you don't know what your return is going to be, particularly with Donald Trump. And you're not necessarily even buying his his neutrality or, you know, keeping him from saying nasty things about you. You go ahead and say nasty things about the people who do endorse him. So, you know, you're dealing with a psychopath. And, uh, you know, I, I just wish more Republicans, particularly Republicans who in their heart know this is not who should be president. I wish more of them would stand up and speak their mind. Well, at one point or another, it's it's got to be who else. And if there is no who else, we know for sure whether he really stays in the race till the end or not. We know for sure that the current president is not the guy who should be reelected president of the United States. He's having trouble Absolutely struggling true. in in this position, struggling. That's and, absolutely true, Paul. I mean, there's there's no other way to look at that. And um, according to Mike Rogers, and we're going to have him on. And you know what? Since you say you've got a Detroit News poll out tonight, will you come back tomorrow maybe and talk to us about that poll? Are already scheduled, Paul. Oh, good. Excellent. Uh, but Mike says uh, his endorsement of Donald Trump will not require him to change his own positions on issues. Interestingly enough, he felt it important to say that. Yeah, except on the issue of whether the election was stolen. And Mike was very clear about that uh, earlier on. Uh, you know, he came out and said, we need to look forward. Uh, you know, we need to stop all of this distractions and this nonsense about um, election fraud and stolen elections. He said it's not good for democracy. And, of course, you know, now he's. He's got to pick up that Trump mantle on that issue. And, does he? Does everyone you know, who supports Trump have to uh, oh, continue I, I, to I, believe that? I think that's. I think that's the only choice you have. I don't know that Donald Trump gives you uh, a choice. And you know, you read the column and you'll see. You know, he's not saying, "Well, now, you know, there's always election anomalies, and we've got to protect um, ourselves from Democratic shenanigans." And, uh, and I, I just think it's it's really unfortunate that uh, folks feel compelled uh, in order to win a primary to you know have to cast doubt on the integrity of our election system. Well, he does he does say in your column among what you just uh, summarized, he did say very specifically, "Do I think there are going to be attempts to cheat? I do, but we have to fight for an overwhelming win, so there's no question about our victory." End of quote. 
Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I hope that's not throwing in the towel and now saying he thinks that the election was stolen when he said before he didn't think it was stolen. You know, I, and I think for everyone, whether you're Democrat or Republican, be good to start looking ahead. This is a country that is starving for a vision, for somebody to say, here's what I'm going to do to make your lives better. And I wrote Sunday that both Trump and Biden are looking backward, looking backward to 2020, talking about uh, stolen democracy and stolen uh, elections and, you know, threats to our republic and blah, blah, blah. No, we're four years later. And, you know, our, our country still stands. But where do you plan to take it as a presidential candidate? Where do you want to lead us to? And we're not hearing any of that. We need forward-looking leadership. You're absolutely right, Nolan, as always. That we need forward-looking leadership. When you go way, way back down the list, is it Nikki Haley now that's number two? I guess a distant, but, you know, her... Things are starting to fall apart for her, too. I mean, I hear she's losing staff, and, you know, there's – you're right now, what, a week and a half, two weeks from the Iowa caucuses? This thing's about to get real in a hurry. And last I looked, Donald Trump still had a 30-, 40-point lead. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to run for second place when you're not oh. sure that the first-place guy is going to end up uh, – off the ballot. I mean, well, it's never good when you're running when you're running for president, and the big question people ask you is, "Would you accept vice president?" That's not what you want to yes. hear when you're running for president. I would hope, you know, my my dream, if you will, is that Nikki Haley ends up as the no labels uh, standard bearer for that third party effort. I believe she can win. Wow, it'll be fascinating to hear. Your poll results tomorrow right here on the show. We always appreciate you, Nolan Finley. Thanks very much. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Nolan Finley, editorial page editor of the Detroit News, as we continue at WJR. And we're glad that you do come to talk and to listen. We're here uh, Monday through Friday, noon to 2, with special broadcast this Thursday with our county executives. You're going to love that broadcast. I'll tell you more about it tomorrow. But you can stream us live at WJR.com, Alexa, and Google Home. You can download the WJR app. And I do hope you'll go to thegreatvoice.com, thegreatvoice.com, and get a, an entire podcast of the show to hear it again or to hear it for the first time if you can't listen from noon to 2. Always a pleasure to welcome our next guest. He's the head of petroleum analysis, Gas Buddy, and our buddy, Patrick DeHaan, and I say our buddy because all you've been bringing us for as long as I can now remember is good news. Well, you know, I I, I try. I can't take credit for it, but, you know, to your point, uh, we're at the lowest point at the pump since 2021, since May of 2021, and that's it's a great feeling to see the average in Metro Detroit now at $2.91. A couple stations did go up here yesterday, but we're still seeing some stations, a uh, couple stations in Southfield, 249, 252. This is kind of what normal feels like. Now, the AAA, the, the you know, the Auto Club group attributes the dip to quote weak gas demand alongside increased yeah. supply. 
Yeah. Uh, however, rising oil prices have limited price decreases. What's that all mean? Well, yeah, not so much. Well, you know, this is seasonal. <laughs> I don't want to get I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. This, this is not going to stick around past the spring. You know, the, the weather is about to potentially, um, you know, turn a little uglier, and that's going to yeah. keep Americans inside. But, you know, this winter's been warm, and typically winter's not a time when everyone's saying, hey, let's hit the road. And Americans just don't get out as much. We don't put the – I mean, how many boats are on Lake St. Clair today or, you know, Lake Erie? Uh, nobody's really out there consuming a whole lot of gasoline, and that opens up this window for these sub-$3 prices. Uh you know, and not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but this isn't going to stick around the spring. We'll start to see prices going back up in mid-February, and then I'm going to be the, the gas grinch or whatever. But enjoy, enjoy <laughs> well, it while we have it, right? I promise you, Patrick DeHaan, we'll remember these good old days. <laughs> and we know that it's not your you – t- you don't take credit for it, and I'm not going to assign blame to you for it either. But you should feel it that – that the price generally is about $0.39, 40 cents less than this time last month yeah. and about $0.52 cents less than the same time last year. That money, when you start to fill these these 15-gallon tanks up, yeah. that, that, that really starts to make a difference in our disposable income, the money that we have that we can spend on other things. Yeah, exactly. To your point, our forecast for 2024 is that collectively Americans are going to be spending – 32 billion with a B less on gasoline in 2024 than we did in 2023. To your point, though, you know sometimes it doesn't always feel that way. This summer, it's not going to feel like you're spending dollars less at the pump, right? But the savings will add up, and that's what you have to look at. Is the good is that Americans are going to be collectively spending a lot less on gasoline this year, and that is good news. We had some good news last night. I don't know how you feel about this. Are you oh, a Michigan? Oh man, I feel great. Oh, you're a Michigan fan. I, I oh, w- w- without a doubt, I bleed the maize and blue. You know, I grew up in West Michigan, listening to WJR's Frank Beckman, and wish Frank was around to see this. But oh yeah, I was just purely giddy at, at what happened last night. Yeah, it was a, it was a time to be giddy. As nervous as we were going into it, what an outcome! Michigan thirty-four, Washington thirteen. And uh, coming up, Steve Courtney will put the cherry on top of this Sunday, and uh, we'll talk about it. And it's good to know that you're uh, bleeding some maize and blue as well, Patrick. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Paul. Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy, with even more good news as we continue on WJR. Time to check in with Mr. Steve Courtney. Steve Courtney. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here, Steve. I know you're excited overall on this uh, Tuesday morning there, Dub. Congratulations to you. Well, it's it's afternoon now, but I've been excited since last night, so that would count for this morning as well as now this afternoon on what the governor has proclaimed Michigan Wolverine Day. Well, you know what? Uh, here we go. Uh, in our visit yesterday, Dub, we were discussing the fact that this Washington Husky O-line, the Big Uglies, were the recipients of the Joe Moore Award, uh, signifying them as the top offensive line in the country. Now, keep in mind, 
the Michigan football Wolverines O-line had won it the two previous years. Well, from the get-go, it looked like uh, Michigan's Big Uglies took exception to this year's award because I'll tell you what, the uh, Michigan ground game uh, was absolutely stellar. You had the two long touchdown runs, of course, by Donovan Edwards at the end of the first quarter. The Wolverines put up 229 yards on the ground. Now, going in, uh, Washington had their troubles uh, stopping the run. They were allowing 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, And then we saw the Husky defense make some adjustments, and things got a little bit more difficult uh, for the Wolverines, didn't it? As a matter of fact, we go late to the first half, and you had Jim Harbaugh going for it on a fourth-and-two situation, was not successful. Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington offense went to work. Uh, Mr. Penix would find Jalen McMillan in the end zone. Touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 17-10 at the half. Yeah, the Washington Huskies with a little bit of momentum. Then we begin the second half. First play from scrimmage, it was an interception. You know what, Paul? I'll tell you. Uh, I I think this Michigan defense, uh, each and every one, uh, who uh, took a snap uh, deserves a game ball because they made life for Michael Penix Jr. absolutely miserable. Yeah. Uh, it's been pointed out that uh, he certainly had the uh, worst ball game of the season, uh, some saying maybe in his illustrious career. 27 of 51, 255 yards, one TD to go along with two picks. Uh, he was only sacked once, I believe, but uh, he was hit time and time again and he was and he was hurt and his coach didn't care yeah he uh you know was laboring uh there at the end uh but then uh, michigan gets separation in the fourth quarter with a couple of blake Corum touchdowns uh blake running for 134 yards to go along with those those two scores uh you know neither offense really uh putting on that uh that big of a show. Michigan finishes, Paul, with 443 yards of total offense, 303 of that on the ground. But then you look at third down efficiency. Not good on either side. Washington, 2 of 14. The Wolverines, 1 of 10. Uh, the difference here, clearly, uh, was the Michigan defense, as you know, it has pretty much throughout consistently throughout this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They all deserve a game ball. Um, we heard earlier from uh, uh, the the Big O, uh, one of Michigan's big uglies a long time ago, Jimmy Brandstetter. He couldn't he couldn't have been happier to uh, identify as one of the big uglies on the line, uh, and he was really something. So they deserve all the credit. I think another unsung hero, though, has to be Donovan Edwards. I do believe with his 104 yards and two touchdowns, the two touchdowns in the first quarter. I think really set the stage for everything else that happened. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, he is an accomplished running back. There's absolutely no question about it. Uh, Has he been in the shadow of Blake Corum? I guess you could make that argument. But uh, by all accounts, uh, they get along swimmingly. And uh, last night, Donovan Edwards did uh, what he had to do. Uh, Two glorious touchdown runs uh, to get things going for the Wolverines, who now, I guess, Paul, we're we're kind of in a waiting game uh, with the future of this uh, illustrious program. Uh, Obviously, the NCAA uh, is going to render a, a verdict, if you will, of the uh, the cheating scandal, as well mm-hmm. as the COVID-19 dead period recruiting issue. Um, 
depending on what you read, uh, it could be rather harsh for Jim Harbaugh going into next year. The question is, is Jim Harbaugh going to be on that Michigan sideline? Right. Uh, there are report after report of, of NFL teams being interested, in particular the uh, Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, just got done reading a piece not long ago uh, that Jim Harbaugh has examined both of those potential opportunities. That being said, uh, there are also reports that there's a rather lucrative extension deal on the table for Jim Harbaugh. So, well, you uh, know, I just want to say, uh, first of all, be- before I forget it, the first guy to uh, congratulate uh, Donovan Edwards after his touchdowns was Blake Corum. He went out of his way to go over and yeah. hug him and congratulate yeah. him, just so we know that. But sure. also, uh, we've got, uh, you know, you talk about money, and you're going to help me with this because I have no idea. What, I'm about to ask you a question, but... So the national championship, uh, Michigan's first since 1997, earned Jim a million-dollar bonus on top of the $2 million in bonuses he already had secured this season, 500000 for winning the Big Ten East, $1 million for winning the Big Ten championship game, and $500,000 for making the college football playoff. We're looking at, at his pay for, for 2023 already over $11 million. This is getting crazy. I mean, I'm sure he's worth every penny of it, but what could he get? What do the coaches in in the pros make? Well, uh, not quite that much. Um, But, you know, there have been reports that the contract that uh, Michigan has allegedly offered him was going to be originally around $12 million a year. Um, And then others have said, no, uh, that's going to be closer to $11 million a year, which is uh, still a very nice sum. But keep in mind, uh, apparently there is also a clause in the uh, deal that would prevent him, obviously, from going to the NFL in 2024. So, you know, I think that there is an unwavering interest in we Jim Harbaugh. Run. So, okay, okay. We got to run. Stand by for JR Afternoon. Chris Renwick, regards, Paul W. Smith.